0: Actually, I want to go through a section in Mark. I've really enjoyed Mark. I don't know how many years Robert and I have been going through the book of Mark, but one of these years we'll finish. But this one's the exposure of true devotion to God. We're going to see two different aspects of exposure. So go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 12. And we have two sets of people or two individuals that are going to be marked out to help us to see what it really looks like to have true devotion to God. So we start with Mark 12, verse 38 through 40 is our first observation. And this is exposed by their external devotion. So verse 38, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts and who also devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive a greater condemnation mark is literally saying when he's saying his in his teaching this is literally a larger set of what jesus has been teaching the other like the synoptic gospels will actually cover much more detail on what's going on here but mark does an awful lot of summary work he breaks it down a little kind of quickly have you remember the beginning of mark when he's talking about the baptism of jesus and he goes into the temptation of wilderness that's like about what three sentences Talks about Jesus came up out of the water, taken out by the Holy Spirit, tempted by Satan, ministered by angels, done. Now you're back in some other, some other part of the country and you're going, how did, how did we get there? So, okay, it's Mark. Mark puts a lot of condensation down into points where he's tightening it down. He wants you to focus on these areas. So, again, this is a focal point for him. Jesus is saying something very overt, very straightforward. He says, beware of the scribes. And he's telling them to be alert, be on guard of the evil that these men carried in their life and in their attitude and their ministry and their life and everything about them. The evil is subtle. That's why he's saying be alert, be attentive, be bright in mind to be aware of what these guys can do. It's going to be very hidden. It's going to be subtle. It's going to be overt. And we will see it for what Jesus describes as evidence here. So we're going to be able to give some ideas of the evidence to look for of what's happening. Jesus is guarding them and us today that the external we see will not provide full evidence of the true nature of the one being observed. you ever thought of that? A lot of times, we're so taken by the external, overwhelmed or awed by the external. I mean, you see a lot of those TV evangelists and those TV personalities that are religionists and everything, and they're very gregarious, and they've got all the right look. So they're nice to the eyes, they're appealing, they're grabbing you on the external. You get down deep into the heart, you're probably not going to find much to look at. Now, think about it, too. Jesus, at this point, Jesus is not saying the scribes as a group. He's not accusing them as a total group. Because that wouldn't make sense. Because if you back up into verse 38 through 34, or 28 through 34, sorry about that, you'll see the fact that he is commending a scribe who came, asked Jesus a question Jesus defined, and he came back and he said, that is exactly right. That is true. And Jesus acknowledged the fact that this man was not far from the kingdom, that he was very much aware of the true reality of what's going. He wouldn't be classified as one of the scribes he's talking about here. The scribes he's talking about here are the majority group, those who stood out, were looking for praise for themselves. But again, the scribes were those who interpreted the law and knew it fully but it went only mind deep. You ever notice that a lot of times? Jesus points out that they love to walk around. That's an interesting term that Mark's using. Or better yet, they love to stroll around as to be seen in their grand clothing so they would stand out, moving amongst the people in the marketplace. Not necessarily to shop, you might say. They're going to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be honored, okay? I remember years ago, Ray Steadman talked about an issue as being a a pastor. And traditionally what he would do is after he got done preaching in the morning, then he'd go to the back door. And he'd greet all of his parishioners as they left. And and he continually got the excellent sermon, pastor. Great sermon. Wonderful sermon. You know how that whole line goes. Well, something started to happen. And he started realizing, wait a minute. I'm taking this. This is coming up into my head. I'm starting to be like puffed up and prideful. And he realized it was feeding pride inside of him. And he went, I I. I I can't do this. And he told the congregation, but he stopped going there to, to get those accolades. He didn't want him. He didn't want those things to turn, turn his life and focus on the fact that he sacrifices and does in ministry for the Lord to serve his people, not to get the rewards and the accolades and everything. Not so with the scribes. They walked around. Very long, notice notice about long robes. So there's a lot of motion going on, okay? You can kind of picture this in your head. So when they were also then, from the point of being in the marketplace and greetings and being acknowledged, the next place they unfortunately went to would be in the synagogue. And they sought the elevated seats of honor to be recognized as part of the elite group. Not sitting in the back, they're not sitting and honoring others to sit. What are they doing? They want to sit up front. Now, the interesting thing where they would normally sit, it's a bench that was in front of the Ark of the Covenant. okay Facing the audience in an area reserved for leaders and the people of distinction, they sought those places of position and honor. They worked hard to make sure they were there, seen by all acknowledged, honored, okay? When they went to feasts and you thought, what in the world? I mean, there's a lot of cultural things going on here. So when they went to the feast, they desired to be seated at the couches that were reserved for the honored guests. They didn't desire to just be part of the fellowship and to encourage and to serve those that they were around. No, they wanted to be acknowledged, And they were only desiring the attention of others. Problem is, they're also getting the attention of God in their life. Think about it. In the public view, they wanted to be seen as religious and devout to God. But Jesus exposes something that was not in the public view of these men. They devoured widows. See, this thing just keeps getting worse. And Jesus is detailing what you and I cannot see. We see the only the exterior, and Jesus is giving you the detail of what's going on inside, the motives of these men. Well, what about the widows? Well, this is interesting. We don't think about it in our culture, but widows were the poorest class of society, but also would be those who would be the ones most Adapt at giving to the scribes in their ministry for funding and whatever they could do. Because they saw this as a great honor for them to do. But these scribes would, in the guise of religion, or show, take the property from the widows, letting them think that they were giving to a great cause. And I can't tell you the stuff that my mother was, was into back in those days way a long time ago, those TV evangelists and all the the stuff. And even one time I remember I was kind of shocked that some ministry had some deal that if if they sent you a little prayer swatch, a little piece of cloth, okay, and if you take that little piece of cloth and you rub it on the area that's hurting or the cancer or whatever, and then you put the money into the envelope and that prayer swatch... Mail it off, and they will pray for you. And I went, Mom, you know, the only thing they're going to do is rip that envelope open, grab your money, and throw the swatch in the trash can. And there's nothing about that swatch, Mom. It's just a piece of cloth. Mom, this is a gimmick. Oh, they do great work. Mom. But she was taken by that. Same thing, these widows are getting snookered. But while taking the money, they would fake their devotion to God by these long prayers, only to make those around them think that they were spiritual. this This is a rough area. I mean, it's like, okay, we do pray publicly from time to time, but sometimes you can check yourself on the inside. One writer stated they hid their covetousness under a guise of great personal piety. They gave themselves to long periods of prayer in order to impress people with their devotion to God. But in truth, by the many words a fool is found, they wanted to make those around them think that they were super spiritual by their long prayers. But again, here Jesus exposes them as false. Again, Jesus knows the intent of the heart. He knows what's going on. He's exposing us. And as being teachers, they were going to receive a greater condemnation for not leading the people of God to truth, to devotion, to worship of God. Anybody who's teaching, I mean, you get that warning in the scriptures that it's very clear that anybody who desires to teach, be careful because you would take a, a higher level of judgment by God. Not many should be teachers. Why? Because You carry a load of carrying people either in the right direction towards God or in the wrong direction away from God. But it looks like God's work. We've seen that, right? So let's take a look at another point. He exposed one for a deep devotion to God. Let's go a little further in Mark 41 through 44. Out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. Interesting. Picture this. Jesus had been teaching previously in what they would say, the court of the Gentiles, which was outside the temple, kind of a an open area where all could hear and not be restricted. But he's now moved in one of the many gates that comes in to another inner court that's called the Court of the Women. The boxes, the giving boxes, the donation boxes were placed in this area because both men and women both could put in the funding that's there. There were a series of boxes. They were either be called boxes or could be called horns or trumpets. They were more of like an inverted horn. Where it would kind of, you put coins in, you're going to hear it. Okay, so put that in your mindset. And Jesus here is people watching, right? Have you ever done that in the airport? It is kind of interesting, especially when we were in LA. It was real interesting to do people watching. You go, oh my, 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 my. And we had a friend that was uh, an officer that uh, every once he would, he would post some of those unique pictures and put a pretty interesting caption on the bottom and you're like oh my missed Hollywood didn't you okay well you're in the right state glad to have you so again Jesus is observing don't forget Jesus is observing not only externally he's observing the motives what's the time time It's the time of the Passover. Remember? We've already talked about this a couple weeks ago. Last time we talked about it, Jerusalem. Pilgrims have come into the city for the Passover to celebrate. Jerusalem is not a massive city. It's a walled city, high on a hill. So it's a narrow real estate, but it's tons of people. So this place is elbow to elbow, arm to arm. It was a tight, bustling area. And remember... What we talked about last time as the apostles said, what do we need to do? Where do we need to go? Because we want to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus says, okay, here's where you're going to do it. And let me give you the key to find the person and the place. Find this guy. He's going to be carrying a water pot. You find him, follow him, go into that house. And that's where you're going to do it. And you and I go, okay, picture this. Huge scene, thousands of people, everyone, shoulder to shoulder, you might say, moving all over the place, and we're going to find the guy in a water pot. <laughs> you, you nutso. No, no, no. In our culture, we'd go, everybody carries their own load, whatever. No. Again, back then, the women carried the load, the water pots. The guy carrying the water pot would stand out. You might as well paint the guy in purple or some bright color. But that was the key. It stood out. It it got your attention. It got their attention, and they just followed the guy into the house. Now, that would be a kind of a weird feeling anyway, but you move on. Notice this. At this point, Jesus is people watching, and he notices somebody. Now, again, there's a lot of people giving a lot of money and there's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of stuff going on. So it's not going to be something where you're going to sit there and just something's going to catch your eye. It's just a lot of stuff in front of you. This is what you call visual noise, okay? And all of a sudden you get a situation where Jesus picks out this an individual. Jesus is watching a large number of individuals placing their offering in one of the 13 boxes or, or horns for the reception of religious or charitable contributions. And you think about it, with the number of people in the courtyard, this is probably a loud event, especially with these metal horns and the coins going in. And I'm sometimes when I'm in the branch at the bank and everything, and I hear these you know these coin machines. That's a moine, right? These coin machines, and they pour their pile of coins into things. (laughs) That one thing's enough noise to drive you bonkers. But talk about 13. That's loud. So notice the rich. They gave large sums of money, of which would cause a long announcement of their giving. It's not just like ka-chunk. It's tink, 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 or whatever, right? It's going to take a little while for them to large sums of money. One other commentator even brought up the fact that even in their arrogance and their boastfulness, to kind of look like they're giving a huge sum of money, they broke that money that they were giving down to the little copper coins. It'd be like someone saying, "I'd like to give you a thousand dollars," and they come in with a cart with pennies. You're going serious. But that would be the thing that they would do to bring attention to themselves of how much they're giving. Remember Jesus reminds us that don't, don't let the left hand and the right hand know what you're doing. It's not for show. When you pray, what do you do? You pray, you go into your closet and you pray openly to the Father, but you do it in secret. Why? because there's intimacy there's a devotion there you're not doing it for show it's not to benefit anybody else it's an intimate relationship with you and the father together so this is where i get to that point in my head where i someone says well when was your last you know what do you do in your quiet time and i went ah i can't tell you. i i can't remember the last time i had a quiet time someone went, shame and i go no 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 every single time i'm spending time with the lord it's a loud time because there's a lot of times where he's dealing with me with things and it gets pretty loud and i'm probably getting a little gruff and getting a little pushed back and he goes no you guys have never done that right you you vote uh uh-huh yeah okay well whatever but you get an idea notice the fact that this is what's going on in front of jesus to me, it almost sounds like chaos. But really? Large sums of money? The same show as that of the scribes who were known for their clothing. Remember this, this sequence of teaching that Mark's pulling in. He's talking about the external show that's going on by the, by the scribes and the robes and everything, and they're, they're being greeted in all this external. Again, this is all External wanting to be in the prominent seats, to be seen. It's all for show. All for self. And again, Jesus knows the intent of the heart and exposes the false worship of devotion to God. And again, it's all external with a dead and corrupt heart. Remember, too, Jesus talked about the fact that he was nailing the religious And saying, really, you guys are nice whitewashed tombs, but inside what you got? Dead man's bones. What's the whitewashed tomb? Looks great on the outside. Looks so nice. Almost looks like someone's house. What's on the inside? Nothing. Dead. They were spiritual on the outside. They give to be seen by men. But are fully known by God. With the excessive size of the crowd and the number of those filling filing past to deposit their offerings, there is one that catches Jesus' attention. Someone that that would not stand out in the crowd by their clothing nor the amount of their giving. This one person, a widow, the lowest class of society, the poorest. Known by Jesus, but not by her outside appearance, but by her deep inside devotion to God. What would she be doing? Because she's such a low class, poor, how's she coming in? Well, what would she look like dressed wise? The finest fittings, the best, glittery. All the jewelry? No. They'd be torn, tattered, worn clothing. She'd be disgraced. It's a shame based society. So she would be shameful of her position, her carry, just the way she was. So she would come in probably a little ducked down, just don't want to be seen, don't want anybody to recognize, just. She just wants to do what she wants to do with God. So she comes in humbly, quiet, no fanfare. And probably when she puts in her little two copper coins, probably doesn't even make a sound. But Jesus is identifying exactly what that giving is. And I don't think a lot of times we think this way. She is much like the man carrying the water pot at this point as she stood out in a stark contrast in the crowd. Did she, I mean, did she just, it's just, whoa, wait a minute. I love the fact, too, that he kind of identifies her and kind of grabs his apostles and goes, hey, guys, guys, come here, come here. I need to teach you something. I need you to see something. Of course, again, they're only going to see the external. Jesus is going to fill in what she's doing. Again, she would have come in extremely quiet, wanting not to be seen, maybe head bowed, maybe a little bit hunkered over, tattered clothes, just do her offering and leave unnoticed. She was noticed. She was noticed by Jesus. By the way, she just put in two copper coins. Smallest coin in use those days. She put it into to put it into the perspective. The value of her gift was one sixty-fourth of a common laborer's daily wage. One sixty-fourth. It's a pittance. I mean, you can't you can't say that this is her daily wage. It's much less. She's poor. These two copper coins are all that she had to her name. She didn't have a bank account. She didn't have savings. She didn't have credit card. Nope. It was all she had. Could she have given only one copper coin and yet kept one? Yeah. But that's not the love and devotion she has of God. It's 100%. It's full on. It's complete abandonment and complete trust in God. So her gift is 100%. See, those around her were giving out of their abundance. Notice what Jesus identified, the fact that they had an abundance that they were carving off the top. But she, of her poverty, gave 100%. Those around her were probably doing the traditional tithe, the 10%. I remember growing up, I mean, I grew up in the conservative Southern Baptist Church, and I remember everything was tithe, 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 tithe. Then you get to start studying the scriptures, you kind of start having some problems going. But God's always talking about giving liberally, giving of a heart of joy. And then you get this 10 percent. And I thought, that sounds so ungodlike. It sounds restrictive. God doesn't function that way. It's like, some missionary might say, well, we need this. Well, shoot, I only give 10%, so that's all you get, bud. No, God moves our hearts to what he desires us to give. But they were given their 10%. It was a required giving, too, don't forget. And we tend to do that same thing today. I had someone one time, I said, well, what if you gave more than 10%? <gasps> No, that's not what I'm supposed to do. And I want, okay, let's back up into what Scripture says. It's not 10%. It's whatever God says. But what's her percentage? 100%. Has ever God asked you to give 100%? We're also supposed to give what? With joy, liberally, with a desire to want to give, not... Holding it back, not, oh, okay, here, you know, to have that little pain point. I've seen some, sometimes people put money in offering plates, and it's almost like they're, you know, the, the, the pain of putting that buck in, you know, whatever. The, the real fact here is, as we're looking at this event going on, whose devotion of God was exposed more? Where was the high level of devotion? It was this woman? think too that when she dropped her two small coins in the box there again was hardly any noise but all the other noise the other 12 donation centers was probably just tons of noise and continual with the large amounts but again she was noticed by jesus god himself who knew and noted her full devotion her full commitment with all the commotion of the court jesus takes time to use this as a teaching with his disciples, to show them what it means and what it looks like to have pure devotion. He points it out to them. They're probably just, "Eh, it's another day in the court, giving day. See, true devotion cannot be seen by the human eye, but is fully known by God's eyes on each one of us. So what do we learn from these two contrasting exposures? Well, it really comes back down to check your devotion. What are you devoted to? What are you committed to? Are you looking for the external? I remember I was up in California with a friend of mine that we went to Christian college together, and he was a music, music minister, And I happened to be there at the evening service. He says, well, Pastor and I usually pray before the service. You want to join us? That would be really weird if I said, no, no, no. You you go, right? Actually, I was very thankful I went. So we get a little three of us. And Pastor asked me to open in prayer, you know, and, and that we would pray around. And I did. And, you know. It's kind of weird. I had in the back of my head, kind of like, oh my word, you know, this is kind of important. So i got to really watch what I say. i got to be careful. i got to couch what I say, you know, guide my words, make sure it comes out very spiritual. Hmm. And then my friend prayed, and okay, that was good. And then pastor started to pray. Oh my word. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. Immediately you felt like, I have just interrupted this man's conversation with God. I'm kind of like, I really need to leave because there's a very tender moment and a very personal event going on here. And as he continued to pray, he got softer and softer and softer to the point he was almost whispering. And I started to realize there is a deep intimacy that he is having with God right now. And I'm getting a little nervous because, again, I felt like I was, in, you know, kind of like eavesdropping. But it was the most amazing thing to realize this man was not praying to me, or for me, or my for my friend. His conversation was just with the Lord alone. Disregarding anybody else around. So ask God to go deep into your life and show you the true motives of your heart. You know, you and I are not going to see it easily. We'll think, oh, this is spiritual. And God might be going, Nope. Let him expose the truth to you so you can see what he sees. And do you do things because you want others to see how spiritual you are? Again, that's a hard check on yourself because our self can be lying deceivers. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's not even including us. True devotion to God is not how you dress or what you give or how you pray. Do you look around to see who sees you when you give or serve in ministry? I had someone one time say, oh, "I I'd, I'd never do custodial work at church. Why not? Well, it's so degrading. So." It's serving. Do you realize how distracted we would be if we went into the restrooms at church and they were a complete disheveled mess and filthy? Where would your worship be then? The only thing you'd be distracted on is that bathroom you were just in. It was like, oh my gosh. So that service, the people that do, and I see them cleaning it between services. That's how detailed they are. That's amazing. That's amazing. And they do it with such joy and such excitement and such commitment. Why? Because they're not looking to get pats on the back by us. They're doing it to honor and glorify God. Are you trying to impress those around you on how you pray? Prayer should always be the most raw conversation that you have with the Father. It's a conversation, it's not fancy, impressive words. I do have some folks around and I and I love it. I'm I'm fine with it, you know, that, that pray King James. I don't speak Elizabethan English. I don't I have to transliterate. Have you ever done that? You're reading King James and I I have to transliterate that thing into today's English so I can understand. And I remember when I was the college pastor we would read some section of the Old Testament every time we got together and I remember one brother of course my wife's giggling already. And we were going through, it caught the whole group, okay? He was reading uh, King James, not that he was King James only, but he was reading King James. And something he was going along and talked about, and all of a sudden about Willeth. And we started giggling. We're like, and he's like, what? And we're going, he's just talking about Willeth. Who's he? Oh, Willeth, you know. And it just, it, again, that distracted us, right? So again, that's those things that I transliterate back around to where I'm like, okay, got to get, get straight. Still love King James. It's solid, but <laughs> it's not how I speak today. But, again, that's, does Jesus know what language you're speaking when you pray to him in your known language? Yes. He made the languages, okay? It's, that's an easy one. You know, in our culture, it is very easy to do things that are seen by others and, and esteemed by those around us. I mean, we're very egotistic individuals. Look, look at what I have done. It creates such a false facade that we can't even believe and see the falseness that we've generated. That is why we ask the Holy Spirit to show us the deep parts of our lives. That's the deep. Out of the mouth, the heart, what? Speaks. So if you really want to know what's down inside, just listen to yourself, or let someone else listen. They'll, they'll tell you. They'll tell you what the core of your life is really all about. I think it's interesting, and I know this is a side note, and you'll probably be distracted the rest of the day on this, but... There is a song that I I like that the Who does. And you guys are going, Who? Well, we're old enough, okay? We all know who the Who are. It's called Eminence Front, okay? <laughs> and fortunately, I think GMC or someone like that used it as part. Of, they didn't use the lyrics, but they just used the music, and they started playing it, and I was going, oh, Really? You guys are doing this? And it was kind of interesting. Eminence Front, really, if you look up the word eminence, it means false or facade. And really the whole song is literally about people living these external facade lives that are all fake, pretty, but fake. And they go day after day after day in this fake facade on the outside. Everyone else sees this fake facade and that's what they think the individual is, but in all reality, there's nothing there. Or as we used to say when growing up, that's like a life of being paper mache Remember those fun things we used to do? I didn't do tomato. I thought it were really weird. But you know, you blow up the balloon, put your little whatever in the gluey, in the, and then all of a sudden you pop the balloon and you pull it out the bottom. You got this nice globe thing. You paint it up, do all this kind of. What's on the inside? Nothing. It's a false facade. I grew up in the media district in Hollywood, and it is the funniest thing. Where you go to, you know, where you got Walton's Pond, and you see Walton's house, and you see Grandpa, and that whole that whole area. Okay, and you step through the door, and you look behind, and it's nothing. It's the facade. It's a fake front. Makes it look like the community of the town and everybody's houses are right there, but if you go on this side it's flat. There's nothing there. That's the facade. That could be our life, and that's what Jesus is pointing out of the religious leaders, the scribes. It's their false front. Looks great to everyone else, but to God there's nothing. But then he identifies the widow There's nothing on the outside. There's absolute true devotion on the inside, deep devotion. And think about this way. This widow had no idea Jesus was watching. No clue. And you know, sometimes you and I go through life thinking that God's really not watching or what's aware of what we're doing. Sorry. No matter where you are or what you're doing, he's fully aware and he's there. but go a little bit deeper. She gave 100%. She gave everything. She had absolutely no resources after that donation. Nothing to live on. Nothing to survive. Nothing to rely on. Except for absolute 100% dependence on God and her faith and trust in God to care for her when she had absolutely nothing that she gave away. She kept nothing for herself, trusting God completely. The hard lesson of this one is, do we fully, 100% depend upon and trust God for everything? For us to be at that position, we have to be completely empty and devoid of everything in our life that we don't rely on. And we trust him 100%. Too many times we live a life that we are what? We rely on ourselves too much. We literally should be more like the widow who abandons everything, surrenders everything to God, so we can be totally dependent. We want to be dependent upon God. Not dependent upon ourselves. That's what the scribes were doing. So, my question then is which life do you seek in a life of devotion to God? The scribe's life or the widow? She came not showing, but to bring her gift to God in love and devotion. She came knowing her God and his care for her. She came thankful. Let's pray. Father, this is the most difficult for us to actually deal with, and the fact that there is so much in our own lives that we have built up to protect, to have resources to be dependent upon more on ourselves than we do try to be dependent upon you. Teach us, grow us, help us to understand and to be dependent upon you, devoted to you 100% and completely surrendered in everything that we do to you. For in that way we will know for sure and for absolute return, we know that you will care for us because That is borne out in our life and our total trust. Help us to learn this dependence. Help us never to be seekers of external praise or external acknowledgement. The only desire that we should have is our total devotion to you and that you are the one who observes and knows us fully. Your eye is what we want on us and we want you to show us where our life is. If this week we need, grant us understanding of the core of our life and turn us to a life, true devotion to you no matter what occurs. We love you and know you care for us. That you continually lift us up and grow us to be more like you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus, amen.